0: Did you hear about the man who was wounded in the war and his face was disfigured? He loved his wife and hated for her to see what he had become. When he met her at the plane he said, Sweetheart, I'm so sorry. She laughed and said, Honey, i love you. But frankly, you weren't that pretty before. If you're a believer, chances are you've tried to be good and you've probably failed.
1: So why do we keep trying so hard? What makes you righteous What makes me righteous is when I accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles
0: Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. The fact is, God knows we're not perfect, which is why he's doing the good work for us. This week, Charles Tapp continues with the third part in his series, God's Good Work by explaining we just need to be willing to allow that work to take hold in us with his message, Perfect Perfection.
1: If you were not here for parts one and two of our series, God's Good Work, we've been looking at lessons from the book of Philippians. So let me just catch you up with what has been going on as it relates to our series. This this book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, is one of my favorite books in all of the New Testament. It is part of what we call the prison epistles because Paul wrote this particular letter along with Galatians to the Ephesians, Colossians to the churches that were started by him as well as Philemon. And he writes this letter, this letter to the church at Philippi from a prison. And when you read especially chapter one of Philippians, you get the feeling, you get the impression that Paul has a very special relationship with this particular church. Because when you begin to read chapter one, you get the impression that Paul is like a proud parent. Got any proud parents out there? Your children are watching. You better raise your hands. Every time you read all throughout chapter one of Philippians, you hear Paul say things like, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And every time I pray to God, I thank him for the great transformation that he is doing in your life. If there were cars back in Paul's day, I guarantee you, he would have a bumper sticker on his car that would say something like, proud Philippian parent because he just had this love for these believers at Philippi, not just because Paul was instrumental in starting this congregation, but Paul had this special relationship because of the fruit that he was seeing being born in their lives. And he wanted to let them know that he appreciated what they were allowing God to do in and through their lives. And when you read verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul takes his thoughts to a crescendo, and he says, I am confident of this one thing, that he who started this good work in you shall see it all the way through to its completion. And Paul calls this work a good work. Not in the sense of being good that it pleases, you know, our emotions or it it pleases our senses. You know, when something feels good, you say that's good. When you touch it, when you hear a certain sound and it's pleasing to the ear, you say that sounds good. When you put something on your palate like a Reese's peanut butter cup, you say that what? tastes good if it pleases one of our five senses. But the good that Paul is talking about here is not something that pleases us. But the good he is talking about is something that is considered to be good, not by how it performs, but the good work he's talking about here is good in the sense that Of It's very nature that it is intrinsically good. And there is only one thing good in this world that is good by its very nature. And that is God. You see, you and I, our goodness is not based on our natures. Our goodness is based on our performance. So if we do something to a certain level, we'll say that was good. But listen, please don't miss this. You can't judge God's goodness by what he does. You've got to judge God's goodness by who he is, which means then whatever comes from God or God allows to come into our lives because he is good has to be good, even if it doesn't feel, taste or sound good to us. That's why Paul could say, all things work together, what? For good. How many of you know some things that are good for you don't necessarily taste good to you? There are some things in this life you cannot judge its goodness by how it makes you feel. So when God allows these trials and things to come into our lives, we can't say that's not good. If anything comes from God and God is good, not by what he does, but by his very nature, whatever comes from him and whatever he allows ultimately has to be good. So Paul is talking about a good work, not good because it made them feel good, but good because in essence he was saying it's God working in you. And he says, I'm confident that because God has started this work, this work of transformation, this work of making you more spiritually mature, God's going to see it through all the way to his completion. But there's something in this passage that we miss many times, and and I must admit I miss it every time I have read this in the past. Yes, Paul is taking an opportunity to graciously acknowledge the the good work, the Holy Spirit's work that he is doing, that God is doing in the lives of his people. But there's one thing we miss when we read this account, and that is this. Paul did not write this letter from a palatial palace. Paul wrote this epistle, this letter from a prison. And I believe the greatest work that was being done here was not just in the lives of the Philippian church, but it was in the life of Paul. And let me tell you why I feel that way. Because Paul in prison, writing a letter took time to acknowledge those who were living a life according to God's will and trying to encourage them. And let me tell you something. If I'm in prison and I'm writing a letter, I'm just going to be honest. I doubt very seriously if the content of my letter will be, I just want to encourage you to let you know I'm praying for you. My letter, Dolly, will go something like this. Get me out of here. Amen? But Paul, regardless of his circumstance, does not focus on his own pain while being in prison. Instead, he allows himself to encourage those who are not in prison. And I believe Paul was able to do that because the same good work that Paul was saying was in the lives of the church at Philippi, God was doing that same work in his life. There's no other explanation for it. We think these individuals in scripture were these superhuman people. These were regular down-to-earth individuals like you and me. And if, if you're in prison, are you going to be spending your time writing letters to encourage people? No, you want somebody to start a prison ministry to come visit you. But Paul was able to do this because Paul recognized that God and his presence was with him even while he was in prison. You know, some of us are imprisoned today, not physically with bars, but some of us are imprisoned by our circumstances. Some of us are imprisoned by the pain that is in our lives. Sometimes it's, it's physical pain. Other times it's emotional pain. Some of us are imprisoned by the mistakes that we have made or the decisions that that we've made in the past that still haunt us today. And we look into the lives of other individuals. And instead of us saying, look at what God is doing in them, we cry out, God, why are you allowing me to be in this prison? But when you've got the spirit of God doing a good work in your life, the focus is not always all about you, even if you're in prison. One of my favorite devotional books, and I encourage you, I implore you to to, to get this book. It is the devotional book by Oswald Chambers, My Upmost for His Highest. Anybody ever read that book? Anybody looking for a great devotional? It's a classic. My Upmost for His Highest. You can get it in paperback or you can download it. Look at this quotation from Oswald Chambers in his book, My Upmost for His Highest. He says, having the reality of God's Presence. Listen to this is not dependent on our being in a particular circumstance or place, but it is only dependent on our determination to keep the Lord before us. How continually he says our problems arise when we when we refuse to place our trust. Don't miss this in the reality of his presence what is Chambers saying simply this that God is not confined by space or place and that's what Jesus was telling the woman at the well when he said listen if you worship God you've got to recognize that he's a spirit and those who worship God must worship him how in spirit And in truth, which means then you can't put God in a material box and lock him up there for the same God that is with the person in the palace is the same God that is with the person in the pit. And it is the same God that is with that individual who is in prison. So wherever you are, whatever circumstance you are going through. You can be encouraged of the reality that God is right there with you. This is something I've been practicing this entire year. And that is trying to acknowledge and to recognize whatever I'm going through, wherever I am, God is right there with me. In 1992, when I was pastoring in New York, I had an opportunity to interview a pastor by the name of Noble Alexander for a radio program we were doing. If you don't know anything about Noble Alexander, here's another book you need to get ASAP, his autobiography titled, I Will Die Free. Anybody ever read that? I Will Die Free. He spent 22 years in prison in Castro's prison because he was falsely accused of trying to overthrow Castro because he preached a sermon about the judgment of God. So for 22 years, he spent his time in this two by three cell for 22 straight years. It's an amazing story. He even goes on to say in his his book, I Will Die Free, that his wife, while he was in prison, I'm not telling you what I heard. I talked to him personally. He said his wife divorced him and married one of the guards. He said, and the only companionship he had was a roach that he turned into a pet. But then he shifts gears and he says, well, that wasn't really the only companion I had. He said, because I also had the presence of God with me. And it was because he understood that even in that two by three cell in Cuba for 22 years, when things were not going the way he wanted to, our hopes he knew God was with him. I'm here to tell somebody today whether you're worshiping online, whether you're listening on the radio, you may be in a physical prison or you may be in an emotional prison, but listen to what I'm telling you, God is with you. And when you know God is with you, listen. And I'm not talking about something that you just come to overnight. But when you began to understand the reality of the presence of God, there is no one that has control or will be able to rule your life. Paul was in prison, but prison was not in Paul. Because Paul possessed the spirit.
0: You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part three of God's good work, Perfect Perfection. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this.
2: This year, let scripture guide your New Year's goals.
3: Sign up for WGTS 91.9's 30 Days of Encouragement.
2: Each day for the next 30 days, we'll email you a Bible verse and short thought to help guide your faith, fitness, finance, or relationship goals for the new year.
3: And for an extra boost, fill your mind with encouraging things each day, like the music you hear on WGTS 91.9.
2: It's been an incredible asset to my walk just to be able to
3: turn my focus on the Lord
2: through the station. WGTS 91.9's 30 Days of Encouragement. Let God's word be your guide in your new year.
3: Sign up at WGTS91.9.com.
2: Or text the word PLAN to 800 700
3: This is Simple Truths for
0: Life, and everyone wants to be better. Better spouses, better employees, better children, just plain better in general. But if perfection can't be achieved in this lifetime, why are we trying so hard? Charles Tapp shares how we can learn to grow as God does the heavy lifting, if we just allow him to, as he continues the rest of his message, Perfect Perfection.
1: So when he talks about this good work, Paul, more than anyone else in the New Testament, understands the power of what the Spirit of God can do in maturing our lives and making us more like him. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, as he writes again to the church at Philippi, in verses 1 to 4. Look at what he says. Finally, brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is it's not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, Paul is beginning to warn them. He encouraged them in chapter 1 and chapter 2, but in chapter 3 of Philippians, now he is warning them. He says, beware of what? Dogs. And he's not talking about the dogs that you and I have as pets. He's talking about those individuals who are going around trying to preach a gospel that was going to undo what the Philippians had accepted through Jesus Christ. He said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of what? mutilation. We'll talk about that in a minute. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no what? Confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more so. Listen to this warning. Three times he repeats it, Them, beware, 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 beware of what? Beware of those teachers and those preachers who are preaching a works, a salvation by works theology. Paul was simply telling them, You are saved by Christ and Christ alone, not by any doctrine. Did you just hear what I said? Not by any dogma, for by grace are we saved through faith in Jesus Christ not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, and nobody has any right to boast and brag about their own righteousness. It's Christ, and it's Christ alone. There are many in our church today who think that all they have to do is keep some rules, and that'll bring them in good standing with God. Foolishness. Well, if I stop eating a certain thing, then that makes me more righteous. Foolishness. What makes you righteous, what makes me righteous, is when I accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Once I accept his righteousness and make him first in my life, that's what brings me into a saving relationship with him. And Paul says, beware of those teachers, those preachers who are telling you otherwise, because they are of the dogs. And I love what he says here. He says, this whole thing of circumcision, you know, the Jews thought to be circumcised, that that's what really made them righteous. I love what Paul says. He says, that's, that's just you mutilating your body. What makes us righteous is when we accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not this works theology. And if anybody had a right to brag If anybody had a superior pedigree, it was Paul. Look at how he describes it in verses 5 and 6 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. When it comes to being a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, when it comes to keeping the law, listen, I'm a Pharisee. When it comes to having zeal, I've got more zeal than you ever will have. He says, when it comes to having zeal, I persecuted Christians. But here's what's important about Paul's prestigious pharisaical pedigree is that when he compared that to what he had in Jesus Christ, he said, all of that is worthless. It counts for absolutely nothing. Amen. Amen. He says, it's loss. So forget the fact that I've got this prestigious pharisaical pedigree. You know, some of us, we have our own pedigrees. Well, I've been in the church for for 40 years. Paul says, all of our righteousness, all of our pedigree, anything that we can have to use to bring attention to ourselves, it's, it's done. And he says, not just that. But anything, all things, whatever can potentially keep you from having this relationship with Christ, he says, it's worthless, even good things. And that's a tough pill to swallow. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if you want to follow me, if you really want to be one of my disciples, you've got to be willing to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, all your relatives, and follow me. In other words, he was saying, you've got to love everything and everyone less if you want to be one of my disciples. Because if you're not willing, listen to me, if you're not willing to love everything and everyone less, whatever it is or whoever it may be, it has the potential of keeping you from experiencing this saving relationship with Jesus Christ. My favorite part of Philippians 3 is in verses 12 to 14. It's my favorite because Paul is being completely honest here. Look at what he says in verses 12 to 14. He says, now I know I told you what you should be doing, but just don't miss this. He says, not as though I had already attained. In other words, I haven't reached the standard I'm talking about. Either we're already perfect or completely mature. He says, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it. In other words, I haven't reached the goal yet, Paul is saying, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are what? Behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Look at verse 14. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. In essence, Paul is simply saying this. If you want to experience the life of spiritual maturity that you need to have in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand this, that the first thing you need to do is forget your past. The biblical concept of forgetting in order to understand it, you've got to understand the biblical concept of what it means to remember. When scripture, in scripture, when the Bible says, remember something, in essence it's saying, take that event in the past and don't just acknowledge it, but take it so that it can impact your actions in the present. So when God says... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not just to go, oh, okay, that's the Sabbath day, I won't forget that. But it's remembering an event in the past so that it can impact your actions in the future to keep it holy. Husbands, when our wives say, remember, our anniversary is just a couple of weeks away, they're not just saying that to inform you of an event. But informing you of an event, they're doing so hoping that it will come into play into an action. All the husbands got real quiet because you're saying remember so that when the time comes, we'll be ready. Paul says, when it comes to forgetting, it's the opposite of remembering. So in essence, he's saying, recall that event in the past, but make sure it has no impact on you in the future. In other words, don't let your past rent space in your head. Don't let your past, whatever it may be, imprison you and keep you from going on forward with Christ. Sometimes it's the people of our past that try to hold us back. But Paul says, don't let that be a stumbling block to you. But he says, forget it. Don't let it impact your actions in the future and the present and press forward to the prize. And for Paul, the prize is not heaven. He makes it very clear in his book of Philippians. The prize is Christ. He says, if you want it, you've got to press for it. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's a race. Years ago, I was watching the Olympics. I can't remember what year it was. I love track and field, my favorite event. But he was the one who everybody said, he's going to win this particular race. The commentators were saying it. I mean, it was a done deal. He didn't even need to show up. They got on their marks. The announcers said, get ready, set, go. The gun went off and they took off. And like they said, this guy was leading. And when he came around the home stretch. Just a few yards from the finish line. I don't know what possessed him to. But he turned to look back. As he turned to look back, the one who was behind him leaned forward. And when they did the photo finish of that race, the guy who they said was going to beat everybody who was destined to win lost. By that much because he stopped To look back where the guy who beat him understood that a race isn't over until you cross the finish line and he pressed forward. So what Paul is saying, you and I in this life will never reach perfect perfection. We won't get that until Jesus comes. But until he does come, you and I need to continue to press on the upward way. For new heights, we're gaining every single day.
0: You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part three of God's Good Work, Perfect Perfection. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org.
1: Now here's what we're working on for next week. Contentment is not contingent upon the abundance or the lack thereof.
0: That's a sample of what you'll hear next week as Charles Tapp concludes his series, God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians, with his message, The Secret of Contentment. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.
2: this year let scripture guide your new year's goals
3: sign up for wgts 91.9's 30 days of encouragement
2: each day for the next 30 days we'll email you a bible verse and short thought to help guide your faith fitness finance or relationship goals for the new year
3: and for an extra boost fill your mind with encouraging things each day like the music you hear on wgts 91.9
2: It's been an incredible asset to my walk just to be able to turn my focus on the Lord through the station. WGTS 91.9's 30 Days of Encouragement. Let God's Word be your guide in your new year.
3: Sign up at WGTS91.9.com or text the word PLAN to 800-700-1094.